0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to lliw.net to register.
1: So today we start our five-part series of 12 People You Love. During each of these segments, we're going to interview someone whose life has been impacted by the power of love on their journey to Christ. Today we have with us Justin Ragoni. Welcome, Justin, and thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your testimony today. Now you were won into the church by the power of love, but kind of give us a little background as to what was happening in your life just before that. So just before coming into the church, I had
0: experienced the sudden and unexpected loss of my grandmother. Uh, She played a key role in my upbringing and my childhood. It was real devastating to lose her so quickly and unexpectedly. Uh, I also, during that time, uh, found out that the person I'd been awaiting to meet, who I thought was my biological father, in fact wasn't. And uh, I went on a search to find who my biological father was at that time. I was real confused, uh, real depressed from the lost, from that, just real sleep-deprived as well from trying to manage working full-time as a paramedic at night and go to school during the day, it was was a lot at that time, is probably one of the most challenging times in my life.
1: Wow, wow, wow.
2: Justin, that is such a hard time that you were going through, and um, we're so sorry that that you had to deal with all of that. Um, At church, there was someone very special that showed love to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that helped you through your dark time?
0: So that person was uh, Pastor Roski. When I first started taking classes at La Sierra University, I took a Christian beliefs course with him. Uh, When I first met him, there was something special about him, the way he delivered the message, the way that he was just so patient and kind and just so welcoming. And it it really worked in my heart very differently than anything else had. And uh, the class came to an end, so I approached him. I knew I needed to learn more from him and asked him if we could start a Bible study. And uh, a year and a half later, after studying with both uh, my wife and I, a year and a half, um, he said, be patient. It's like a marriage. Just take your time. He ended up baptizing us here in the church in 2015. And I have so much gratitude for what he did because I realized I wasn't asking him just to Baptized me and study, but he helped facilitate my growth, my development, and my overall well-being so that way I could be at peace with all the things that happened in my life. So I have a lot of
1: gratitude for what he did. Wow. That's That's fantastic. What a wonderful example. Now, Justin, when we all get to heaven. And you look around and you find Pastor Roski and you, with jubilation in your heart, run up to him. What are you going to say to him? The first thing I'm going to do is tell him thank you. And
0: thank you for loving me into the church.
1: Wow, that's going to be a beautiful time. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. Thank you again so much, Justin, for sharing your wonderful testimony with us today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Justin, and thank you for sharing. Sig was very special to many of us here, wasn't he? A man who spent his free time who could have been seeing his grandkids at the same time for a year and a half, Justin tells me. He didn't know that he was giving up time. That was so special, but Sig loved Justin, and he loved him into the church. Now, Before I came here, I pastored at the Napa Church. And my oldest son, Riley, when he was about five years old, on a Wednesday, which was my day off at that church, I I asked Riley, hey, I've got to go over to the church for about an hour. Do you want to come with me? And he says, okay, because he's a very good child. And he always says yes to whatever I ask him to do. Right, Riley? (laughs) And a few moments later, my wife comes in and she says, you know, Riley really doesn't want to go with you. And so you know, he's just going to stay home. And I said, what? And he was right there. So I said, Riley, I tell you what, we'll stop by Buttercream Bakery and I'll get you a donut and then we'll go to the church and you want to come. He says, okay. A few moments later, my wife comes back and says, yeah, he really doesn't want to go. I said, not even for a donut. And he was right there. So I said, Riley, what, what do you think we're going to do? What, what do you think I do when I go to work? And without missing a beat, he looks at me and he says, you shake hands? I said, you think I shake hands all day? He goes, yeah. (laughs) I can imagine his little mind, I'm there all day, going off to work, and all day, I'm, thank you, oh, thank you, thank you for coming, oh, thank you, bye-bye now, bye-bye now, oh, thank you so much for coming, Have, have a great day. His view of what my work was, his view of my ministry was very much different from reality. And today, as we unpack our discipleship spring training, many of you are going to have a shared experience with my son in allowing the Holy Spirit to open up your mind to a whole new way of doing church, a whole new way of doing ministry. I want to share with you the perspective of Dr. King. Now, Dr. King has a beautiful, wide, and bright smile matching his deep intellect, and he was curious. He's foreign to Christianity, but he's not foreign to our country, and he's just curious. What do you church folk believe? What is it that causes you week after week to come here, and what makes you so excited about this man named Jesus? He doesn't want to study your materials. He wants to study your methods. He's not so concerned about your beliefs that you want to share. He's more curious about your behavior because from there, he can actually tell what you believe. It's in that mode that he can tell what you're really all about. And so he comes and he visits for several weeks and he studies and he takes notes. And at the end of a couple of weeks, he thinks, well, I think I've figured out exactly what these people are all about, what Christianity is all about. And so he writes down in his journal the entry that you'll find in your little book, The Twelve People You Love. And if you don't have your book today, don't worry. You can get get it on your way out. And those of you who are watching via broadcast, don't worry. As soon as we field test this and get it just right, I'm sure you'll be able to see this too. But for now, those of you who are here, follow along on page 9 as we read the journal entry of Dr. Kang, who says, Jesus has definitely commissioned these people to go make attendees. They are sincere people. They definitely love their God and thirst for heaven, but they seem most concerned about attendance. Additionally, instead of of word-of-mouth growth, they outsource their marketing. They mail out flyers to people they don't know, inviting them to come listen to a hired speaker they don't know to talk about a God most of the church members don't really know. All of the people who don't know each other come together for a couple of weeks until the speaker leaves town. Some people stay, others leave. Who stays? It's difficult to tell. We never really knew them in the first place. A proper name for this might be strangerhood evangelism. Now, I know what's going on in your hearts. Some of you are saying, right on, And some of you are saying, I don't know, I don't really agree with everything Dr. King said. No matter where you fall on this issue, I want to give you some good news today. I believe in the power of evangelism and bringing in speakers who can share with us from a wealth that we need and we crave here as we grow as disciples, and we're going to continue doing that. Because God has blessed us with the community and the greater global community to have great thought leaders come in and share with us who is God and what's his plan for you today. So we're gonna continue doing that. But we're gonna also focus on some really, really good news today. Which is, what else is there? Is there something more? God has called you to be a disciple of Christ. And in calling you to be a disciple of Christ, he's called you to follow him. So the question is, where is he taking us? If we're following him, where are we going? And if all we're doing is following him in this holding pattern between your couch and your pew, back and forth, and every week trying to polish yourself and perfect yourself so that hopefully you'll have a slim chance of squeezing through the pearly gates just before it closes. Hallelujah, I made it. God has a much greater plan than for us to be self-focused. God doesn't need you to be perfect. He needs you to be productive. And God is calling you through our new discipleship focus to be productive in a way that will strangely feel natural to you. God has called you to follow His example So what was Jesus' example when he was here on earth? Well, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. And he loved them all. He loved the 5,000 plus who stayed past lunch to hear about the kingdom. He loved the 500 who followed his time permitted. He loved the 120 who gathered together in the upper room to find out what's next, God? What's your plan? He loved the 72 who went door to door sharing about the good news of his kingdom, but there was something about the 12, something that brought out his deepest expressions of love. These are the people he invested in the deepest levels with. These are the ones that he walked with, he talked with, he taught, he ate, he slept, he healed, and ultimately died. So what was it that Jesus did to invest in the 12 people that he loved? I came back a little over a year ago from a meeting that is an annual meeting. I just came back two months ago from the second annual uh, session that I was able to go to. It's for our entire church division evangelism. It's called the eHuddle. And at the first meeting over a year ago, when I sat there and I saw some statistics on the screen, it crushed me. Because the stats on the screen showed a pie chart, and the pie chart showed that out of all of the individuals who have left our church in the past eight years, 91% of those precious souls left predominantly because they had no meaningful connections with members of the church. They didn't have a problem with the church. In fact, out of the 9% that left for non-apathetic reasons... Only 5% left because they had a problem with somebody else in the church. They had a fight. And 4% left because they disagreed with our teachings. And so we're spending all of our time trying to tell people, but no, we have the truth. It's the teachings, the teachings. And 91% of the people are saying, but you don't care. You don't care about me. So why should I stay in a church that doesn't care? There are no meaningful connections. The people surveyed consistently said, hey, it's all right. We don't we don't have anything against you. You guys are great people. You're just we're just going a different direction. There was no meaningful connection. Can I tell you how fervently I prayed after seeing that pie chart? I prayed, God, there has to be a way. There has to be a solution. Something we're not currently doing is there's something that we could do to ignite our church so that we change that statistic drastically. Your discipleship pastors have prayed for this over, for more than a year. And I truly feel that God is asking us to do something different today, to have a complete paradigm shift at Loma Linda University Church, to change the way we do things so that God's kingdom will increase and will retain those precious souls He brings to us. You have influence. You are so influential. You may not agree with me, but you have more influence than all of the pastors on staff put together and any high-powered preacher we could bring from around the world. You have more influence. Why? Because you spend time quantity time with the people in your sphere of influence and because you spend that quantity time you are there all the time God is able to create a quality moment a moment when he can come in and because that individual in your sphere of influence knows that you care they trust you and they trust you to a deeper level than they would ever trust me God is calling you to use your influence for his kingdom but I know what you're thinking. Oh, but not me. You know, all the other people may be here, but not me. I'm I'm such a mess. There's so many things I don't know. There's so many things I still need to learn. If people really knew what happened between the time I'm at church, no one would listen to me. Can I give you some more good news today? The person sitting next to you is a mess. Don't look at him. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. It's going to make them uncomfortable. <laughs> They're a mess just like you. The beautiful truth is that God does not need you to be perfect. He needs you to be productive. He is not calling you to perfect yourself and to make the cross worth nothing. He's calling you to follow Him. And where is He leading? Christ said in His great commission while He was raising up into heaven, while the dust of the earth still coated the bottoms of his toes, he shouted out in his rich voice to his disciples, now go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples all the things I taught you. And don't worry, I'll be right there with you, right up to the end. It's that simple. Jesus says, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you to be productive. If you'll just look around and realize I've placed you at the time, the place, and surrounded by the people that you are surrounded by because I have a purpose for you to fulfill right there. You have enough good news. Do you know how I know that? Because you're here. Why are you here? It's because you know enough. And because you know enough, you know enough to share so someone else will start their journey and join us on our way to the kingdom. You know enough. You are the most influential person for God's kingdom in some of the people's lives that surround you today. I love the story about one of the great heroes of baseball, Willie Mays. Willie Mays did not start out as a baseball hero. In fact, his first 26 at-bats, he only had one hit. At the end of that game, he was the last one in the dugout, and he was crying. The coach saw him in the the dugout and saw him crying, so he came up to him, and he, he said, Willie, what seems to be the problem? And Willie sobbed back, I don't belong up in here. I need to go back down to the minor leagues. At which time, the coach wrapped his arm around Willie, and he said, as long as I'm the manager of the Giants... You will be my center fielder. And that day turned everything around. The demonstration of love and compassion and concern helped an individual at a low point of his life to turn it around and to fulfill his life goals. And from that moment on, Willie Mays went on to score 660 home runs and 330 stolen bases. All because one individual took a moment to think about others instead of just himself, and to share love and concern for another human being. There is great power in showing love and concern for the people around you. You realize we live in a very dark world, a dark world that couldn't care less, and you are the bright spot, the one who cares. So what are we calling you to do What are we as a church doing? What are all of the individuals who transfer in their membership or become new baptized members here, what what are they going to study and what are they going to hear? This is what we do at Loma Linda University Church. Well, to help you gain a a more structured picture of that, we want to share with you what's on pages 24 and 25 in your booklet. Because on page 24 and 25, we actually take this concept of looking around you at the 12 people God has called you to love. And instead of just throwing it out there, just find 12 people. I already know what you're thinking. I don't have 12 friends. (laughs) We're not talking about making friends. We're talking about loving people. And to help you categorize this and make sure you're not imbalanced in the way that you are allowing God to use you, to make sure you're being used to the broadest Perspective that God needs you to love people, on page 24 and 25, we break down your relationships into four categories and ask you to prayerfully let God impress upon your mind who are the 12 people you, you are to love because God's going to surprise you with a couple of these names. He's going to bring into your mind, if you let him, he will bring into your mind names that you never would have put down on your own but we want you to prayerfully consider who are the three family members that God needs me to show love to? Who are my three closest friends that I need to share God's love to? Who are three people who, quite frankly, I only have connection with them because I see them at church or church functions. That's the only time I see them. And who are three people who are unchurched that God is calling you to love? Some of you may have a little challenge with some of these categories because there's some overlap. Maybe your closest friend is a family member, or maybe your closest friend might even be an unchurched member. Praise God. But God's going to work it out, and He's going to help you fill out this list. But this week, we are asking you as a church staff to prayerfully write down the names that God is placing on your heart, and then we're calling you to love them. How are you called to love them? Well, for sake of time, what we did is we made a whole little quick start booklet. So when you're asking, how do I love my family? There's a whole example of how Jesus loved his family. Did you know Jesus had a really tough time with his brothers and sisters? How do I love my three closest friends? What? But Jesus didn't have three closest friends. Oh, yes, he did. Peter, James, and John. Those are the ones he got to share his deepest secrets and most intimate, miraculous moments. How do I love my church members? How do I love the unchurched? And I don't have time to go into it all today, and don't say amen about that. But I'm going to share with you probably one of the most difficult uh, sections for many of you here today. How do you love the unchurched? Because many of you, you work for the institution here. You work for the university, you work at the hospital, you're surrounded by church folk. That's all you see is church folk. How do you love the unchurched? And I want to share with you the example of how Christ himself loved the unchurched with this story. Levi had given up on church. He'd given up on all the hypocrites in the church. He'd given up because of the hopelessness of a never-coming Christ. He'd given up on the hope and the hype of being a special people in a world that says you're not. His parents had repeated over and over again, Christ is coming soon, and he had to chuckle every time he heard it because generations had said that, and still, where was God? Some God-knows-where place. Levi was an incredibly brilliant young man, and so he decided to create his own success, his own heaven on earth, Having a keen sense of reading people and the ability to add figures very quickly, he breezed through the application process and, before he knew it, attained his dream job that would bring him wealth and fortune. Now he called Rome his boss, and they called him a tax collector. Now, Rome required Levi to pay them at the beginning of the month in advance all of the taxes that they estimated for that month. And so he would pay those taxes up front, and then if he was shrewd enough or even tricky enough, he would be able to collect enough taxes from those who were importing and exporting cattle and goods to be able to not only cover the amount that he paid to Rome, but also to make a healthy profit from which he could keep all of it. So as you can imagine, in that position, you would keep a keen ear and a keen eye on everything that's happening around your tax booth in Capernaum. And so he did. And recently, there had been quite some unusual news, Word about this enigmatic magic man named Jesus. The Jews were talking about him. The Gentiles were perplexed by him. Were the rumors true? Did this Jesus... Nonchalantly touch a leprous, contagious man? And upon his touch, did the leper's nose and ears and fingers grow back and and turn from the sickly gray green into their golden hue again? Was it true that he calmly stated simple commands and healed people and cast out demons? Did he really have that power over demons? Did the wind and the waves actually obey Him? But most importantly, and personally for Levi, was did this same Christ actually have compassion on a Roman officer and heal his servants? A Roman officer! He had to know about this Jesus fellow. And so when he heard from the people around that Jesus was gonna be preaching up on the mount to a gathering crowd, he closed up his shop and he went to listen to this magic man. What he heard there was preaching like he had never heard growing up in the church. This man used humor and sarcasm. He, several ways and in several different scenarios, said that the church now was going to have a revolution the church would not be the same as it was in fact several times he said in many different scenarios he's he basically said that within our church is your religion making you more loving or is it making you more of a legalist and then he took it even further with the Pharisees and teachers of the law right there in front of him, he said, and if you want to make it to the kingdom of God, if you want to make it to heaven, your righteousness has to surpass even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then the kicker was, he said, and these guys aren't going to be in heaven. Levi loved it. The look on the Pharisees and teachers of the law's face reminded him how his face burned red every time the Jews came around and insulted him for being a Roman sympathizer. Levi went back to his tax booth that day, unable to shake the revolutionary words of Christ from his mind. Is is it possible? Could the church really change Was there a possibility for the church to be more relevant and more loving and actually be something for someone like him? As he's going through these thoughts in his mind, he looks up and who should he see but the approaching Jesus. All smiles and warmth. Jesus says, I'm putting a group together and I'd love for you to to join us. The compassion in Jesus' eyes, Levi had not seen for years. Compassion. No one looked at Levi with compassion. The Jews looked at him with contempt. That was earned from a traitor. The Romans looked down their nose at him with the condescension of a slave master. Nobody looked at Levi with compassion. Nobody. Ever. Ever. And here Jesus is. Laugh lines curling the sides of his eyes as he says, Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. In that phrase, Levi's mind thought of several things at once. First of all, he thought, wait, wait, wait a minute. This rabbi is asking me to be a disciple? No self respecting rabbi ever. Asked a student to follow him. No! You as a student had to fill out an application and you had to beg and plead, please let me be one of your disciples. And then you had to wait for an agonizingly long amount of time to wait for the rabbi to let you know whether you had been accepted or not. No rabbi ever said, follow me. And yet here is Jesus saying that to a tax collector. A man who hadn't been to church in years. A second thought struck Levi. Did he just call me Matthew? Did he just honor me by giving me a new name? Because I hate my name. Levi, a name which means joined together in harmony with God, was a joke at best. When Levi had decided to disjoin from the church. He immediately stopped living in harmony with God. And to be quite frank, he always felt like he was singing a solo anyways. But here Jesus says, no, no, I want to call you Matthew, which means God's gift. God's gift? What was Jesus offering? to Matthew, an unchurched man at this time? The gift of love, acceptance, forgiveness, patience, friendship, purpose, salvation, and so much more. Could it be that God is so concerned with mankind that when He sees you, All his concern is to give you the gift of love. Moved in a mighty way, Levi Matthew closes his shop, closes his book, and ultimately closes the chapter of that very dark moment of his life. And he follows Christ. And he does something that anyone in his situation would do he throws a party, it's a new birthday party celebrating his new birth. Who does he invite? (laughs) The only people who will have anything to do with him. His co-workers, the con artists, and their drinking buddies. Oh, and of course, Jesus and his first four disciples, James, John, Andrew, and Peter. You know, one of the most vicious insults that was continually flung toward Jesus by the Jews was that he was a drunk. They disliked very much the fact that he not only would go into the home of sinners, but he would talk to them, and he would touch their shoulders, and he would sit in their furniture, and he would touch their dinnerware, and he would eat their food. This may seem like a very petty uh, incident for us today, but in the time of Christ... Your spirituality, and whether you were clean or unclean, was transferable by touch, and this new rabbi was wallowing in the unclean, and his followers were copying him. Jesus, in his care, compassion, and love for the unchurched, gave us a very stark example. Jesus never, let his religion get in the way of his relationships. He used his relationships to lead people to revolutionary religion. He never watered down his faith so he could fit in with the people. He just invited people to come side by side and to watch how he lived and to hear about the kingdom of God. And little by little, the people would nibble and nibble until they became fully nourished into the kingdom of God. What is God calling us today to do? If your pastoral staff had their dream wish, it would be that all of us would go home and we'd take some time with this booklet and unpack, God, what are you asking us to do as growing disciples? Who are you calling me to love? And how can I do this in a way that truly is not only meaningful to me, but to all the people around me? If we had our greatest desire, you would go home with your calendar if you're old school or pull out your smartphone, if you're new school and you'd start marking down on your calendar and set alarms, contact so and so on such and such day and monthly, you don't let a month go by without connecting with that person and letting them know how much you love them. Are you throwing dogma at them? Are you throwing uh, you know, all this religion at them? No, you're loving them. You're loving them, and through your loving acts of kindness, you are drawing them closer to you. And if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you know who you're drawing them to? The Spirit of God. It is our calling not to be spectators, it's our job to be participants in the kingdom of God. And we at Loma Linda University Church are saying, as growing disciples, we are going to be growing disciples. Would you make it a matter of deepest prayer this week? that you will truly seek out God's will for your life and in your place and with your influence to truly find out who are the 12 people you love. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll do a mighty work with us this week. As we leave this place, I pray that you won't leave us, but that you will completely fill each of us here to overflowing. And as we go from this place and we, and we pray and we seek out, God, how are we supposed to connect with the people you have put within our sphere of influence? What are you calling us to do? I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will accept our invitation and move in a mighty way. Show us, tell us, impress us who are the 12 people we are to love. And I pray this in your precious name of Jesus.